0: We've been in this series called Courageous Stories of Faith. This week, we look at that story of Esther. Some of you know the story of Esther. In fact, I was talking to somebody who just did a study on Esther. Some of you have no idea who Esther is. know as a book of the Bible, but don't know who she is or what she has done. It's important you understand the context of which she's in. We've talked about a timeline that you've seen for a number uh, of weeks now, but what I wanna show you is a more specific timeline that we showed you a few weeks ago. It's real specific. There's all kinds of crazy uh, uh, names on here and there's graphs everywhere. This is what I want you to see. If you remember after the time of Kings, after Solomon, excuse me, Saul and David and Solomon, the kingdom split. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 10 tribes, okay? The southern kingdom, and this is why it's important that you remember this, for specifically for the story of Esther. The southern kingdom had two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And as you can see in the northern kingdom by looking at that graph, it didn't last very long couple hundred years, but it was a couple hundred years of evil and turmoil. They've turned their back on God. And throughout the Bible, there's uh, folks that come and, and, and try to remind them of who God is, the promises that he's made to them. And eventually they're, they're conquered by the Assyrians. You see the bottom line there is a little bit longer. That's the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom has times of period of when they're following after God and times when they don't follow after God. There's a number of prophets, minor and major prophets that come and and remind the people about who God is. After some time, they are eventually conquered as well. They're conquered by the Babylonians, as you see that first flag there. That's the Babylonian flag. That's where the Babylonians came, Nebuchadnezzar came and, and conquered. That's where Christian led us last week, talking about how it was a culture that was really anti-God. They were trying to get rid of God in every aspect, and Nebuchadnezzar made this, this decree that everybody's going to bow down to him, but not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, they take a stand. They take a stand of courage to resist the crowd. Now we move on a little further. After the time of the Babylonians, Cyrus the Great, the Persian Empire comes and defeats the Babylonians, okay? So that's that second flag. See that second flag there? That's the Persian Empire. So you figure the Babylonians were big enough to defeat the southern kingdom. Now the Persians are even bigger, okay? They're able to defeat the Babylonians, right? And Esther, we get to Esther right about that time. Esther appears right about that time. Esther appears actually in the book, uh, in in the Bible, as the the 17th book of the literary uh, chronology of the Old Testament. So if you're reading through, Esther is one of the last books uh, uh, chronologically that happens. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Malachi happen a bit later. In fact, Christian's going to speak about Nehemiah next week. But Esther happens right here. So Babylonians... Are defeated persia is in charge the jewish people kind of been scattered all about and it's a time where you really don't want to mention the fact that you're jewish because you've just been conquered and this is where we get esther now if you've ever read esther it's really hard not to read esther and think of uh, the best made movie ever because it plays out like a movie. I've tried to read Esther a number of times and think, okay, it's real life, although when you look at it, you go, man, this is like a movie. You've got good people, you've got bad people, you've got uh, a, 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 a plot to, to kill all the, all the good people away, and, and the victory happens. This story, is, it's hard not to think of a princess movie because it plays out like a princess movie. It plays out like Cinderella, okay? You know the story of Cinderella. A peasant girl happens here in this story who's an orphan who gets before the king, who becomes the queen, and then saves her people from total annihilation. It's hard not to, to see it as a movie, except it's real life. If any of you have kids, you've watched a lot of those princess movies. I've watched so many of those princess movies, and I hate them. <laughs> There's no application to them at all. In fact, Cinderella was on this week, and so I, it was interesting, because I thought, I'm gonna watch Cinderella. And the only application I got was, what an ungrateful child. Hmm? <laughs> Here she is, a roof over her head, all she has to do is make her bed, do some chores, and there she's complaining about it, right? <laughs> but when you read Esther, you can look at it and go, man, this plays out like a movie, but it's real life, and we can put ourselves into this story. You can put ourselves into this story. That's why I love when we've, we've titled this The Boldness of Esther, because she has this. In fact, when you look at the folks here, it's very similar to any kind of real movie that was, was made, the cast is there. The first person that we see when we come to Esther is in the very first verse, it's King Ahasuerus, who's actually is King Xerxes. Esther 1.1, this is what happened during the time of King Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Cush. Now, you think, that is a humongous area. 127 provinces, that's all the way from most of Asia into Africa, this is an enormous area place. And the reason that we present these characters, we present the, the timeline, is not to just say this is a wonderful, sweet story. It's for you to remember this is a real life thing. This isn't fiction. King Xerxes is there. He has an unbelievable empire. In fact, there have been movies made about King Xerxes. It's a movie I would not recommend, but it's the movie 300. you ever seen that movie? It's He is pictured as the king of all other kings, the great king. He is seen as somebody that is bigger than life because he has so much power, so much authority, such a huge military that you would dare not mess with the king. In fact, in that movie, he's represented as a man who's like seven foot five, all gold, because people looked at him as saying, he is just the biggest king ever. This is a king that you don't go and make a request for. This is a king you don't ask anything of. In fact, you don't even go before this king without getting killed. This is King Xerxes, Persian Empire. Sears the Great, conquered the Babylonians, and now you have Xerxes, who's conquered even more. And the story begins in Esther 1-1. I wanna encourage you to read this book. It's, a, it's 10 chapters, it's kind of long. We're gonna skip through it here Uh, systematically, but there's so much application to it. It starts in Esther uh, 1, where there's a grand banquet, and King Xerxes has a queen, Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti is his queen, and he has a banquet, and he says, I want to parade Queen Vashti out in front of everybody so they can see her beauty. Well, Queen Vashti refuses. You don't refuse the king. She says, I'm not coming out. I'm not going to do that. So he has her excommunicated from the whole kingdom and decides to throw a, a grand banquet, a, a beauty pageant, if you will. Doesn't this sound like a, a movie? He says, I want to have a beauty pageant, a, a banquet. Invite all the, the women to come to this banquet. I'm going to choose a new queen. Doesn't it sound like a movie? Real life. So now you have another person, the next character in this story is Mordecai. Esther 2.5 says, there was a man in the citadel of Susa, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai. He's Jewish, but he hides the fact that he's Jewish. You do not want to tell people you're Jewish. That was the one that was conquered. Well, Mordecai has a cousin named Esther. The next character, or Hadassah, Esther 2.7. Mordecai has a cousin named Hadassah, whom he brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So you have an orphan girl. Sound familiar? Mordecai says you should go to this beauty pageant. You should go. He's your encourager. He, he says, you should go, but don't tell anybody you're Jewish because if they find out you're Jewish, we're in big trouble. So she went to this beauty pageant, and we see this in Esther 2, verse 17. And the king loved Esther above all other women. And she obtained grace and favor in the sight more than all the other virgins so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So there she is, peasant girl, made the queen. Still Jewish, doesn't want to tell anybody she's Jewish, but now she's in a position where she's the queen, right next to this great king. Well, you also have in this story the evil villain. You got to have an evil villain, right? This evil villain is Haman. Oh, wow. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, we should pass. Uh, the, the ushers are going to pass out popcorn next. Haman. Uh, Haman is the number two. He is the top general. He's the the number two in charge. He has a lot of authority, as you can imagine. He is uh, in charge of the military. He's in charge of a lot of things. In fact, you go to Haman, not the king. And so Esther 3.2, all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded him concerning this. But Mordecai would not kneel down. So now you have Haman. Okay? He, Mordecai wouldn't kneel down or pay him honor at all. You have Haman, who is very powerful. He's in control of a lot of things, but Mordecai refuses, refuses to bow down to Haman. Why? This is where we got to rewind a little bit. This is where you got to go back to history. Haman is an Agiite, Okay, An Aegeite is a descendant of Esau. If you know the story of Abraham, then you have Isaac, then you have Jacob. Jacob has the 12 uh, sons, which end up being the 12 tribes of Israel. Remember the story of Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau was older. He was supposed to have the blessing. But Jacob convinced Isaac to give him the blessing instead, so he kind of superseded Esau in this. And so Jacob received the blessing as the younger brother. But now what happened is, is Esau and his descendants, the Agiites, are kind of the outcasts of society. And in fact, we see the Agiites come back over and over and over again. God commanded Saul to kill the Agiite king Agag, and he doesn't do it. Samuel finally gets in there and hacks him to pieces. But Esau's descendants are are the outcasts. But you can see why Esau's descendants are a little frustrated, because here they were supposed to be God's chosen people. Jacob's offspring are the chosen people. Mordecai is from Jacob, Haman is from Esau. So there's a thousand years of tension there. So Mordecai is saying, I am not bowing down to Haman. Haman does not like the Jewish people. You can see it's setting up to be pretty tense there, right? So he doesn't want to bow down to him. 550 years later is where we get Esther. There's still tension there. These folks still do not like each other. Finally, Haman learns that Mordecai as well as Esther are... Jewish descendants. So he goes in Esther 3 verse 8 says, then Haman says to King Xerxes, he says, there's a certain people dispersed among all the other people in the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. So now you have Haman, the evil villain, wanting to destroy the Jewish people. He goes and makes a humongous poll that he knows he's going to kill Mordecai on. He's gonna make a public spectacle of Mordecai. Well, Mordecai and Esther find out all about this. They find out all about what's going on, this this plot to, to, to destroy all the Jewish people. So Mordecai sends a message to the queen, Esther, who's at the palace, saying, listen, you've got to say something to the king. You've got to go and, and make a stand. You've got to say something. You've got to protect the people. And that's where we pick it up in verse 10. It says, then Esther instructed him to say to Mordecai, the messenger, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman, who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, they are to be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. When Esther's words were repeated to Mordecai, he sent back this answer, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you are alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family, father's family will perish, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time and place as this. The Nestor sent this reply to Mordecai, go. Gather all together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You don't go to the king and make a request. He is the great king. Esther says, "You listen, I'm going to go to the king. I'm going to be bold and go and make this request. But before you do, I need you to fast and pray. I need you to fast and pray. So Esther, they threw a banquet. Skipping ahead to Esther chapter seven. They threw a banquet. Haman's there, the king is there, Esther is there, and this whole thing, it's gonna happen. It's gonna come down, Esther chapter seven. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet, it says in verse 1 of chapter 7. And as they were drinking wine the second day, the king asked again, Queen Esther, What is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Then Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition and spare my people. This is my request. So she says, listen, I'm gonna take this stand. I'm gonna be bold. King, you gotta gotta protect the people. King goes on to ask her, well, who is it? Who's this, where's, where's this plot coming from? Goes on to say that Queen says it's Haman, points at him, and the king is so enraged with Haman that he goes and has him killed on the same pole that he set out for Mordecai. And in fact, Mordecai gets a big position in the palace. Queen Esther gets, uh, and Mordecai get uh, fitted with robes and jewels, and they're celebrated. And it's a great victory. It's a, it's a great story of how God protected the Jewish people time and time again with the boldness of one person. In fact, this uh, this instant is, is celebrated every year in the Jewish people at the Festival of Purim. You may have heard of this. It's the, this year was March 28th through March 31st. It's an annual festival, and there's, there's feasting, there's rejoicing, they have food. In fact, they have a triangular cookie uh, that represents Haman. So Haman is now a, a triangle cookie right? That you eat, right? And they read the book of Esther because it's a celebration of how God's promised to protect the people. They give gifts to the poor. Every family in the province, they, they rejoice. They have a big meal. The rabbis read the whole book of Esther at this time. This is it's such a great celebration. It's full of lines. It's full of moments. You need to read the book of Esther. But what I want you to think about here is that there's more of a connection for us. You see, a lot of times when we, um, we see movies or we read things like this in the book of Esther, we go, how in the world would that ever apply to me, right? I am never going to be before the king. I don't need to save my people. I don't have an evil villain that I'm tr- dealing with. How does it apply to me? I think there's a lot more in this story that we can look at that we realize there's courage that we can have. In fact, many theologians would point to an analogy here in this book of the various characters that play out of what we deal with on a daily basis. When we think of a great king, an almighty king, we do picture an almighty God with absolute sovereignty, don't we? When we think of Haman, somebody who's evil, trying to disrupt God's people, the only thing we can think of is Satan. Satan has no good desire in him. He wants to separate God's people. Every once in a while, we need to remind ourselves that Satan is not like us, following the Lord. Why? Because we're made in his image. He has one aim to destroy the promises of God, to interrupt his plan, to exterminate God's people. Just like Haman wanted to destroy the lineage of God, Satan's highest aim is to keep us out of the presence of Jesus because to, to eliminate the Jewish line would mean to eliminate Jesus altogether. Satan has that same desire for you, to keep you away from Jesus, to keep you away from your focus on God at all. He's filled with anger. He knows he doesn't have time, so he's plotting, he's cunning. He is the roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's why Paul says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against spiritual forces of the present darkness. Then we have Esther. Esther in the story represents us, doesn't it? Somebody who is an orphan who is abandoned, but is taken in. That's what Jesus came to do. He died for us because he loves us. That's why we celebrate communion here today. But there's more to that than this. When we think of movies, we don't often think of application. This has a major application for us. Whether or not we see it as a spiritual analogy, we can see that there's application. First, we can see that God has a plan for our situation. When Mordecai's talking to Esther, we see in Esther 4.14, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time and place as this. Last week when we were talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Christian talked about how, how God was in the fire with them. That their situation may not have been a wonderful feeling situation, but they were in this situation and God was with them in that situation. That's the same thing that Esther's dealing with is that we may not be in the best situation, but God's with us in that situation. I'm telling you, you may have gotten a a new job because God wants you there for those people, you may have thought that you moved in that neighborhood because it was the best house you can find, but maybe you're assigned to be a missionary in that neighborhood. You might have been given that fourth grade class to teach and you thought it was because the teacher got sick and you're the substitute. Wrong. Maybe you're there because those 26 kids need someone to pray over them. That's your highest call. Maybe you're in a marriage that's falling apart. And your wife or husband is doing all kinds of things anti-God. Maybe they're having an adulterous relationship and you're there because you're an encouragement to them or you're there because you're an encouragement to your kids or you're there because, because God has you in a position for such a time and place as this. We don't focus on the problems of life. We've got to focus on the promises of God that he's with us every step of the way. He had a plan for the people Jewish people, he has a plan for you as well, and he's with us in the fire. And we have to live boldly. We have to live boldly in our situation too. You see, Esther had no idea what was going to happen. She didn't know if the king would extend the golden scepter to save her life or she'd be killed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Christian talked about last week, had no idea... Well, was actually going to happen. They just knew that God was with them, that God was going to protect them, that God was with them every step of the way. We have to live boldly in our situation as well. Esther 4.16 says, I will go to the king even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. It reminded me of Joan of Arc. Remember Joan of Arc, that great warrior girl who says, as people ask her if she was ever afraid. She says, no, I spent a lot of time alone with God. His friendship will never fail me, nor his counsel, nor his love. And in his strength, I will dare and dare and dare until I die. That's, that's courage, that's boldness. We have to live boldly in our situation. I, I thought about this real specifically because we have to live out boldly. It's not a matter of just praying, which is important. We've got to act as well. Esther did not just pray. The people didn't just pray. Esther had to take action. She is no dummy. When she knew that she was going to go before the king, we see in chapter five that she put on royal robes and stood in the inner court. She got ready. She knew, Esther knew that she was a a pretty good looking girl. But that God put her in that position. She wasn't going to go to the king in curlers and cut off jeans, all right? She prepared herself. In other words, we don't just pray for a job and never submit a resume. We don't ask God for guidance and never read his word. I I don't ask God to bless a sermon and never, never study Just because we pray doesn't give us a license for inactivity. Some people have taken a step back and say, well, I'm just going to pray and wait for something to happen. And I say, listen, there is a time where we pray and wait on God, but there is a time to move. When God opens the door, we've got to move. You've got to go through that door. I've talked to people about that time and time again. They'll they'll, will in fact, it was a few weeks ago, somebody called me and said, I, I, Jared, I have a, a new opportunity for a new job. I'm not sure I'm sh- I should take it. And I said, have you been praying about it? I, they said, yes, I've been praying about it. I said, is this the only door? They said, yes. I said, you gotta walk through it. You gotta be bold and walk through it. Until God closes that door, you gotta keep going. You gotta be bold. But there's another point I was thinking about this week as well, when we think about living boldly in our situation, is that some people... It's not that they don't want or don't feel like they can go to God. Some people don't want to go to God. I was called this week, and it was interesting while I was working on the sermon. I always find it not a coincidence when things happen to me when working on a sermon. Someone said, Jared, uh, someone called me and said, Jared, would you pray for me? Would you pray for my situation? And I said, absolutely. I will pray for your situation. And then I asked them, are you praying for your situation? And they said, no, I don't feel like I can because I'm frustrated. Now, listen, people don't ever say to me as a pastor, I'm mad at God because of fear what would happen, right? But I do know when they say, Jared, would you say a prayer for me? Two things are either going on. One, they think that I am closer to God than they are, which is actually incorrect, Christian might be, but I am (laughs) not. The second thing I think of when people say, Jared, would you say a prayer for me? is that they don't want to go to God themselves because they are mad about the situation that they're in. Esther, her people had just been wiped out. Her people had just been conquered. And the people there are fasting and praying. They aren't happy, probably, about their situation either. I would imagine they would think, you know, this is not exactly how we planned it to be. If we're God's chosen people that we are in this oppressive place, some of you are thinking, this is not how I planned it to be. I thought if I have a relationship with Jesus and I can speak to him that my job would be better, I wouldn't have these health issues. My spouse would be okay. My children wouldn't be on drugs. I wouldn't be dealing with all these health issues, all these concerns, all these financial woes. I don't like my situation. Therefore, it's not that I can't talk to God. It's I don't want to talk to God. And living boldly in our situation means we live boldly. Boldness and courage means we do things that we don't really often want to do. Courage means I'm going to do it anyway. Boldness means I'm going to do it anyway. Boldness here in this situation says, you know what? I may not like my situation. I may not think it's a good situation, but maybe I shouldn't be the definer of what's good for my situation. Maybe God should be the definer of my situation, and I'm going to go to him boldly anyway and make a request. That's living boldly. Some of us have spent years avoiding talking to God because we are angry or frustrated about our situation. These folks here could have been angry and frustrated about their situation, but yet they still prayed. That's boldness. Because they realize that God is in control. I love the fact that when we take communion on a monthly basis because it gives us an opportunity to come and remember what Christ did. Some people don't want to. They're frustrated. It's an opportunity for you to come boldly and say, you know what, Lord, I remember what you did on the cross. I remember the promises that you have for me, that you love me, that you care for me, and I'm going to remember what you did on the cross, your body broken and your blood shed for me. It's a great opportunity. I hope for some of you who have been avoiding that for a while, can come now with the burden lifted off your shoulders. a few minutes, the band's gonna come and prepare us to, prepare our hearts to come and take communion. And I I think there's one other point that needs to be made here. Because there's there's often a people overlooked in this passage, this story, that they, they often get overlooked. But the idea here is that Fasting and praying often bring hope and clarity to our situation. You see, the people that are overlooked are often the people in the story that we're praying. Esther 4, 15 says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. If you've ever read this story, we think of Esther, we think of the king, we think of Mordecai. Mordecai's worth our applause, Esther's worth our adulation, but the real heroes, I think, are the unnamed, citizens who spent three days fasting and praying for Esther. I can't wait to get to heaven and realize the unsung heroes that have been praying for me in my situation, that I had no idea. If King Xerxes will receive Queen Esther, it's only because these people have first gone to their king and stood in his presence. You know, There's much to say about the book of Esther. It's the only book of the Bible that God's name is never mentioned. But his imprint is all the way through it. There's no religion mentioned either. There's no church mentioned. There's no priest mentioned, just honest people. Everyday ordinary people like you and me that live in a neighborhood who know the whole world is tumbling in unless they pray they pray. They pray for their leaders. They pray for those that are leading the charge. I want to encourage you, church, you got to pray for your leader. You pray for Christian. You pray as he leads us in this community. Pray for your community as well. He's the true heroes of the faith. People that prayed for Esther for that boldness and courage. Mordecai gets Haman's job. Esther gets a good night's sleep. The fasting and praying of people have a big meal. And to this day, they celebrate and we get a good lesson, don't we? That's to never underestimate the power of an honest prayer. Hebrews 4.15 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in this time of need. Come boldly. Find grace and mercy. Esther has learned, as I hope you do, what happens when honest people pray. Honest people with real needs stand before a king and make a request. Will you come boldly and pray? Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for what we can learn from Esther. We thank you for the fact that she used her situation, that she didn't focus on the problems of her life, focus on the promises of what you said to her to keep her people safe. Lord, help us to remember the promises that you've given to us. Help us to live boldly in that situation. Lord, boldly. Help us to have courage. And Lord, as we come to your table here this morning, Lord, I pray that we can reflect on what you've done for us, that you love us, that you care for us, that you died for us, because you always have a plan for us. We thank you. We give you all the praise and glory. We ask all this in your precious name.